0: Welcome to Arrest All Mimics, my name is Ben Tallon, this is the Creative Innovation Podcast and the weather this week is Trimmed Titles. Yep, you might have noticed, I've dropped original thinking from the title, didn't exactly roll off the tongue, so I thought, off you go, off you go. So it's off, it's gone. I shared the, uh, the new logo, the ad- adapted logo this week on social media, I've got good feedback, I hope you like it. Just pretty simple, nice little bit of letter in there, squashed between Arrest... No, Between All and Mimics, what am I about? Anyway, there you go. New beginnings. Um, how are you doing? I hope you're good. I hope you're looking forward to today's show with the wonderful Marion Um I got told off recently, rightly so, because my crass accent spat that name out as Marion Dukas. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> someone turned around to me and went, Marion Dukas? I went, what do you mean? And they went... The shards. Like, all right, all right. So, I checked with Marion, and I think I'm on the money now. So, there you have it. There you go. Yorkshiremen trying to broadcast. It's a minefield. I'm not going to lie. I hope you're good. But anyway, I'm really excited. I hope you are too. Marion is absolutely awesome. She was an early influence in my career. Uh, there's a little funny story behind that, which I will share very soon. But first, I've got to thank my sponsors. First original and founding sponsor illustration limited uh, or just illustration i think is the proper title uh, my agency illustration agent they represent many very talented people right across the board from fashion illustrators to lettering specialists editorial illustration uh, film production graphics you name it murals large-scale live it's all going on uh, top agency wonderful people do a lot of great work for the creative industries uh been a long-term supporter the, the very first people out the traps helped me get it off the ground so go and check them out over at illustrationweb.com uk. supporting this show uh, and they do everything from urls domain sorry domain names urls domain names to hosting to tech support um they they're a great tech company they do a lot of social media support if you go and check out their channels as well um and they give us a little digital tip every episode So I've been keeping an eye on what Marion's up to because she's got a new book coming out called Colour. Um, And... The way she presents her working process in her studio and behind the scenes is absolutely tantalising. She's got a really great grasp of a a strong image, something that you're not going to get through her final images, works in progress, uh, studio setup, colour, little tester pots. It's really, really beautiful, and there's a lot to be learned. So go and have a look at how Marion uses her Twitter account, her Instagram. She's very prolific on there, uh, and everything means something. She really, really does nail it, so go and have a look at that, and that is courtesy of heartinternet.co u k UK. Uh, last but very not least, my print sponsor. A little bit of sad news. After today's show, Printed are going to move on and support some different projects. Uh, it happens. They've given a fantastic service to this show and I couldn't be happier with everything that they've done. They've been sharing my columns uh, on their blogs that I've been writing for them. They've been really pushing the show over the last year or so. But the time has come, they change up their remit of people they're going to support, so whoever is going to pick them up now is in for a real treat, because they've been absolutely wonderful. So a huge thank you to Printed for their ongoing support for this show. Um, they've been giving us a little print story, so to speak, every uh, every episode. And it's pretty easy with Marion. Uh, go and have a look at her amazing books. Um, they're out there. There's lots out on Lawrence King, including Let's Make Great Art... Um, And her new one coming out on Penguin Books, just called Colour, which is absolutely stunning. Uh, And just look at what her work is like in print. It's absolutely incredible, whether that's an actual print for your wall or whether it's a commercial project. Her colour work and her lettering and her drawing is second to none, and it looks absolutely incredible. So it's a pretty simple tip, and that is courtesy of printed.com. who have been awesome for this show, uh, wishing them all the best for the future. So, without further ado, Marion Deshares. She's awesome um we're going to be talking about all sorts from the beginnings of her career how she got into the illustration industry how her letter forms started uh, very iconic work that she's done much parodied unfortunately but um it's beautiful stuff so we're going to talk about all that we're going to talk about where we find marion today how her books came about with Lawrence king and with penguin um how she balances her career now as a parent um and just how it was for her getting you know getting started and getting into the industry, and the differences between that and how young people have got it today in, a, in quite another crowded industry, so some really valuable stuff coming up from Marion i'm um, going to just cover everything she 's awesome she 's a lovely person she 's an amazing talent. And it's quite funny how I came across Marion's work. Um, so I worked at Watstones. If you read my book Champagne and Wax Cranes, you'll, you'll get the full story on on these part time jobs and full time jobs leading up to becoming freelance. But when I worked at Watstones, they had a, a damages policy where you you would get these beautiful books that had maybe been nicked or some a page had been slightly ripped. And they would have to write them off um, and put them out to pasture, like to recycle or whatever happened to them. And you weren't allowed to take them. And I used to find it really annoying. I found it really wasteful. And I only ever did this once. No, I tell you, I tell a lie. I did it twice. I did it with a baking bible because <laughs> it was this tome of a book, and I thought it's got one ripped page, and that's going to get recycled. What a waste of everything! So I kind of snuck it out the back, and then picked it up after work from the skip. And I did this also with Jamie's dinners. Uh, the Jamie Oliver cookbook. And to my delight, it was, it was beautifully illustrated by Marion Duchars, and this was the first time i come across her work. And I fell in love with it, and I've admired it ever since, and I've seen it in many compilations, many illustration compendiums, deservedly so. Uh, and just been a huge fan ever since, so it's a, it's a massive honour for me to be invited round to Marion's place, and to chat to her for an hour for this show, so I hope you're going to enjoy the conversation as much as I did. It's It's a tour de force. She's absolutely brilliant Um, and she continues to be as prolific as ever before and just nothing but admiration. So I hope you enjoy that conversation. Um, Before we get into it, I just want to remind you that the very first Arrest on the Mix live podcast is coming up. It's going to be two days' time from when the show goes out. So get your tickets. Um, There may not even be any left. There was a handful left at the time of recording this. If so, head over to arrestallmimics.eventbrite that's that's E-V-E-N-T B-R-I-T-E dot com uh, where you can pick them up £10 each very reasonable presented by the Association of Illustrators there'll be drinks there'll be chat Um, I'm in conversation with the wonderful Brian Grimwood Brian Grimwood's been illustrating for many decades he's worked for two of the Beatles he founded the Central Illustration Agency what more do you need to know he's a real pioneer he really changed the shape of the illustration industry get your tickets now don't miss out it's going to be be a brilliant night, it's gonna be a great event. So come down and support the show and let's have a chat afterwards to so hopefully see you there. So go support the sponsors, printed.com, heartinternet.co.uk, illustrationweb.com. Get us your feedback for the show on the Twitter at arrestallimics. Quick thanks to the brilliant Steve Johnson who was on last week's show talking about his fashion and lifestyle illustration inspiring journey and backstory there. I Magazine, Nina Chakrabarti, and Lawrence King Publishing all recent guests as well. So thanks to those guys. Go back and check them out on the backlog. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, um, SoundCloud.com forward slash arrest the mix. Check it out. So without further ado, here I am with Marion Duchars. So you're, you're from Scotland originally, right? Yeah. Whereabouts?
1: Um, I was born in Falkirk, okay. it's okay. sort of equidistant between Glasgow and
0: Edinburgh. Yeah. So. And what we so what we from a creative family? You
1: yeah, know, not 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 in a sense of, um, you know, I don't think my parents ever had an opportunity to have a creative um, career, but they're both very creative actually. My mum was really good at making stuff, and actually, she took up painting, drawing and painting in her sixties. Mm. So that, I think when she retired, she suddenly. Felt like she had some time for herself and she was a bit of a natural. So it was always it was always That's there. Cool. She just didn't have the opportunity. I yeah. think. Um, and my father was really practical and really kind of creative with his hands. And would make, you know, he made a lot of our own, our toys and things like that. Mm. But again, it was never, I don't think he ever considered it as a career move. But so I think it was encouraged. I think creativity was encouraged for sure, actually. Mm. But it wasn't a kind of classic, you know, not the way I'd drag my kids along to art museums and give them opportunities left, yeah. right and centre to be creative. Yeah. I think we, we just had to find it for ourselves.
0: Yeah, it was just almost around you on a subliminal yeah. level, I guess. That's cool. Uh, so what was so what was that like growing up then in, in Scotland? I'm always fascinated you know, see, to by people's you know, what those subliminal triggers might have been in their, in their childhood, for example. And
1: Well, that, it's an, you know, actually I haven't really thought about that in a sense, I've been asked that question, but if you ask me what was significant about my childhood that's different to my own kids, is is that we had a, I had a lot of freedom and it's something that's been lost, isn't it, in a couple of generations? And that freedom to was not just freedom to explore spaces alone. It was that time to dream and think. I mean, I was mm-hmm. such a dreamy kid that would go off to some little parapet and and with dangle my legs over the edge of a little, you know kind of clifftop cliff top a little woodland and be dreaming and be thinking about things. That's and, a great point. And um and I and I was on my own, a little girl, you know, like what, ten years old, wandering around in a forest or a woods or a countryside and not feeling like in any way in danger. I mean I'm mm-hmm. not saying the dangers weren't there, I'm sure they've always been there, but um but to have that freedom to I think it was amazing, like, so, but just be able to ha- have, you know, an independence from quite a young age. Actually, mm. we did have a lot of independence. My brother and I used to go on like five mile bike rides really young, you know, on our own in the yeah. middle of nowhere. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of time to, you know, do contemplative, creative
0: thinking. Yes, that's just a great point because I always, I always placed great value on the, on that same freedom. And my childhood and six weeks summer holidays were more or less spent outdoors mm. unless I was physically restrained from going out because of the weather. Uh, or yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, one thing I did never consider about that is is just that the time to dream and the time not to be overwhelmed with information. Which do you think, yeah, not, people to, be,
1: are not or... to be, you know, I didn't have parents dragging me along to <laughs> activities,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> you know. But funnily enough, I, I used to do athletics, so I already we had a in my hometown they had built the first tartan track they call it, it was the first rubber track, I think. they the, the ones you use everywhere, okay, like yeah. So, we because that facility was right on our doorstep, my sister and I joined the athletics club quite young, I think from about the age of eight or something, eight or nine. Mm. And so we were training quite hard, um, so training twice a week in competitions every weekend. So I had quite a kind of strong focus on... There was a discipline to a certain extent. And um, you know, when I think about it, now that facility was quite rare and probably you know, mm. quite special. But my, my other side to that was when I wasn't running, I was drawing. And that didn't require any facilities, it just required someone to give you that space again to say you can do mm-hmm. that on your own without any, and people would, you know, I'm from a big family, I'm one of six children, and it was to get that label quite early, so, that, you know, my older sister was good at art as well, enough. so we had, you were kind of given your labels, and once you had that label, you were, you're kind of trying to get your little bit of love from your mum, because you've mm. got to split it six ways, <laughs> 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 so you're trying very hard to be special in all different ways, yeah. and then, so, of course, being good at art was a real... I used it a lot, being good at art, for lots of mm. things to gain popularity at school, to gain more love, in a way. So it's, mm. those were the two sort of defining things for me as a kid. It was right, And they're both really contradictory, I think. And my mother could never understand. Because I used to have this... I had another label, which was lazy... And it's because when I wasn't running, which is quite mad because I was doing long distance running, it's hardly lazy. <laughs> when I wasn't running, I would be lounging about, dreaming, or drawing. Yeah. so that was the side that was kind of seen a mm-hmm. lot. And, um, but yeah, I think they sort of work. To- I think they work together quite well. Absolutely,
0: training. yeah. Did you did they ever get you in trouble? You mentioned there the popularity side of drawing. I would get in trouble quite a lot for my drawing.
1: Why did you get into trouble? For because it? I could draw in like
0: teachers really offensively and things like that. And I and, and used to get a real kick out of, because I wasn't really one of the popular crowd, but I could really make people laugh with like caricatures. Yeah, yeah. I used to take that to the wrong places.
1: I didn't do that, but I used to, I, I do remember going to an awkward adolescent phase where I looked very, because I was training so hard, <laughs> I, I was very young looking for my age and very underdeveloped, I should say. And I was kind of no one was interested in me as a girl yeah. from a boy point of view. So I think I used to use my drawings. I used to I do remember drawing all the pop bands and giving them to people. As, so people would say, "Can you draw the basic brothers or whatever?" So I'd be, <laughs> I would draw the, these pictures for people, and it was a way of you know being light, of I mean, yeah. something you could offer yeah. that wasn't you know. Tell
0: me about it. That was my, my device. <laughs> that's all I had. Was I was rubbish at sport. Well, good. Yeah, good at least I was good.
1: at sport. Yeah, was good at sport so it bad. That's
0: excellent. <laughs> so was, was there a conscious point where you, I don't know you, know, you got to a certain age and you thought, I might want to do this as a career, or was it just a natural thing?
1: Um, I, think it was, I think it was the art, we had a great art department at school actually, by the time I went to high school, it would uh, be in the 70s, wouldn't it, the 80s sort of, where you know, the art departments were still quite huge, we had four, four art teachers, a photography studio and a ceramic studio. So we had a whole floor of a school with the art department. I, think it was quite, I don't think it ever happened again, actually. No, it was comprehensive. Yeah. And the art teachers were quite influential and they were quite, they were quite strong characters, quite quirky characters. One My teacher in particular was one of the few...
0: <laughs> don't mind, I've had numerous pet interferences, it's great. I
1: forgot about the door. <laughs> we felt we had what My art teacher was one of the few Scottish artists who was allowed to meet Salvador Dali every year. So he would come back every year with these pictures of him in Salvador. Oh, wow. (laughs) Which was, at the time, I didn't even realise. He used to kind of fashion himself a bit on him, like, with his moustache. Brilliant. It was brilliant. And he was, was, um, yeah, they they were very passionate. And they had, you know, obviously within an art class, most kids have given up art. So the ones that are interested and they are good, we were really pushed and encouraged. And so they probably started to make me think, you know, you should go to art school. And I think the back of my head, I was always a bit concerned about that thinking Would it, is that a proper job because it wasn't mm. like am i going to get work am i going to be okay but my, to be fair my parents were of the attitude of you should do do what you love and do mm-hmm. what you want to do and were it and not they didn't have give me any pressure they basically left the decision up like, to me is that you should pursue mm-hmm. what you want to pursue so i think i started seeing that as an option of but it was still a bit fuzzy like what our school oh, god yeah was, wasn't it? It was not it? It's like well, that's the next step, but you could—I don't really see, really see beyond that. It's, it's like some people would be quite make quite derogatory comments about art school, like you're just going to have a, a lazy time and be messing mm. about. It wasn't proper. It wasn't a proper job, um, kind of career step. But I think it was—I had enough people around me to encourage me. I think, yeah, it's say. crucial, isn't it? Because we yeah. still battling that today. It's still yeah. there. But well, it's almost back? I mean, would you—you're back to that stage where it's now going to cost families and from a working class family would you really send your kid to art school mm. pay that money so we've got to be careful we don't have the arts it really just for the wealthy or for those who are you know willing to take on that debt mm-hmm. so it's, it's tricky yeah it's a tricky time it was a it was a blip that free education thing and i happened to go through it mm. you know where everything was paid for and it was um you were allowed to be young for a bit longer <laughs> yeah <laughs> that pressure yeah far, far. well
0: it's just a great extender of youth isn't it is an uh, art school
1: yeah, I mean, I remember going to art, going to art school because I was thinking I wasn't ready to work as well. And then I remember when I finished art school, I still wasn't ready, so I did a master's. Have you <laughs> ever been ready? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I'm still not ready. I still need another couple of years to you know, play around. So, I mean, it's an indulgence, but actually, in terms of you know finding your own voice and being creative, it's crucial, isn't mm, it? So it is. Absolutely. It seems, it seems indulgent, but actually, it's, it's not.
0: Yeah. So, when did you start to illustrate?
1: Um. I think what happened was when I went to art school, in Scotland you do a bit of everything, so you not you don't specialise that early, so you, um, you know, you, there's no foundation, you go straight into art school, but I think it, quite, it looked quite early on like I was moving towards a more, They, I think in some ways they just steered me and said your work looks like it might suit more of a commercial route, but that's because they were a real kind of hardcore Scottish painter style mm. actually. But the irony is, my, my degree show looked, was very painterly and very Scottish painterly, because you're <laughs> obviously influenced by your surroundings. Yeah. But it was... Um, and that's... If you think... I don't if you remember that, that period of the Scottish painters, Adrian Vivanesky and who's done a very Scottish book. um and Steve... What was his name? Oh, God, I forget all the names now. But there was a real... It was quite illustrative, the work, actually, the Scottish school at that time. And we were all... It was quite big. It was like it was having... It's kind of Mark on the Arts, it's, you know, obviously had a bit of an impression on our department as well. Yeah. So we were, yeah, they were kind of quite cartoony, figurative works, mm. I don't know if you remember. But it's, um, so I ended up with doing doing that and then, then I did a master's at the Royal College and that was a communications art course in design and it was very eclectic at the time and it was very kind of open-ended, possibly a bit too open-ended in a sense where... If you didn't, if you wanted to go into fine art, that was encouraged. But really, that's not really the route into fine art. No, you know. So it was a slight illusion of like that. Oh well, you could go and sell paintings after this. And so, I think I wasn't really doing any illustration actually until I left. And then mm. it's like, oh god, i got to actually. I'm in an illustration. Club, I've actually got to do a job. And at that time, there were magazines that you could get work for that were being printed every week or every month. Yeah. And um and I think the rates haven't changed in 25 years, you know that, because I think I used, my first job was for the Evening Standard, I think one of them, and it was the horoscope page, I mean, Patrick Walker, it was a fantastic job to get actually, because okay. everyone used to read Patrick Walker in the Evening Standard oh, yeah, every yeah. single week, and it was kind of, he was a really good writer, whether you, and I'm not really a big believer in horoscopes, but the way he wrote it made you read your horoscope, <laughs> and so every week I had to produce a, an image, yeah. and I'm, and it had quite a high high profile, and it used to pay my rent. I mean, mm. one image a week.
0: Probably I know It probably the...
1: did more than pay my rent. In fact,
0: it, yeah, it's that's worrying, isn't it? I know. it's, Yeah, I mean, I, do, I can't claim to have been doing eight years full time, just over eight years now, but but it hasn't changed in that period. No, it's not changed. And I'm told it hasn't changed. for Adverta-
1: Advertising has, and uh, over, and the big design jobs have, but yeah. but all the other stuff hasn't. Even I think a book cover is, must have. <laughs> I'm sure, I was getting paid eight hundred <laughs> quid for a book cover like twenty years ago. <laughs>
0: You know? Save the AI some money when they're doing their guidelines. Well, it's just supply yeah. and
1: demand. It's supply and demand. There was probably at that time when I went to the Royal College, it was the only master's course in the country. Yeah. To do that 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 um, course, and now there's must be you know hundreds. So you know you've got to. It's, you can't really complain about it, is like it's, it's um it's literally a case of supply and demand. If there's too many illustrators, the price will come down. Yeah. If there's Too much. Completely.
0: Money. So, how did you start operating in that sense? Did you have an idea of it? Were you someone that saw it as a business and, and creative? Because I know people wrongly separate the two.
1: No, I think um, we, we had a really good cohort in at the Royal College. We were very close knit and we, um, we really enjoyed each other's company and we enjoyed the idea of working together. And, it was, and as it came close to us knowing that this was all about to end, this lovely little rosy dream, <laughs> <where> <laughs> we. Um, Decided to. There's about ten of us. We got. We found a studio in just off Hoxton, Hoxton Square, um, and we moved. Basically, moved straight from art school into another into a building that we made like art school continued. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what it was. And we left during a recession, so there's very little work. And so it's not like anyone was getting lots and lots of work. But studio rent was very cheap, and Hoxton Square, believe it or not, was dirt cheap because mm. um, it was. It was quite. There was nothing. It was only painters and artists and designers moving in there but we had this great solidarity it was like this no one had any work everyone was allowed to express that kind of the honesty of like I don't have any work and I don't have any money and I think If times were a bit better, you'd never do that. You'd be kind of saying, no, things are pretty good, yeah, I'm doing all right. But there was this idea "Well, we're all in this crap shit together, (laughs) so what can we do? So we were quite creative together. We organised a lot of parties. It was a big Mm -hmm. rave scene at the time. So we spent more time kind of organising social events. But on those social events, we used them as um, ways to promote ourselves. So we would invite lots of art directors. Mm -hmm. We did lots of flyers. We made images. We had little exhibitions. We were quite we were all really highly motivated and highly driven Mm. people, I think, that all wanted to make it it work. And so there was a a kind of energy and excitement. And I think it was the same time that Brit art was having its little explosion. So there was definitely some little kind of thing in the air that made you feel like it was all right to be... And yeah. kind of make stuff and not have any money. Something's
0: happening, yeah. It's that for that yeah. feeling of collective, yeah, it's just so possibility. It's a voice of real driver, isn't it?
1: And that, and that basically led on to, through those connections and through that the idea that you weren't on your own working in your bedroom did actually eventually make connections and start um, opening up little job opportunities where we'd you know we would get some work for a magazine or a newspaper or a book cover. Mm. You know, we'd start dribbling in enough. To pay your rent, yeah. have your beer money, yeah. you know, and you've just got yourself, haven't you? At that point, you don't Completely. you don't have any. We didn't have any student debt. We um, you don't have any dependents. You 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 just you just need enough to get by every week, and yeah. so it wasn't that difficult actually. And it was a, it was it was a really a nice time actually, really a lot of um you know quite carefree and not you know quite indulgent time again. I would say yeah. But at the same time, we were all trying to find our. Yeah, And some people did fall by the ways I remember it. Some people didn't enjoy the process of trying to get work and that's when some people went to New York London was really not happening very much. Some people went to Hong Kong. A lot of people left London as well at that time, I remember, to try and make the mark. Mm. And other people shifted into curating or shifted into other areas when they realised that they can handle the rejection process. Illustration's quite high rejection rate. It's a lot of effort. So we would, you know, I'd be doing something like sending out to people all the time making phone calls, you know, getting interviews, and you—it's a, it's a lot of them. Um, you know, kids sometimes think, "Oh, how did you get started?" Well, actually, it was a lot of bloody hard graft. as yeah. a lot of trips around your portfolio and calling, spending two days making. God knows how many phone calls and getting one interview. It was actually quite tough. Very challenging. Yeah, but your market was was really only in London and it wasn't that big. Yeah. If you just kept targeting them and listening to the feedback, and every time I would see someone, I'd ask for a recommendation to see someone else. But it was very much like foot on the ground stuff. It was very much like physical contact with people.
0: Yeah.
1: And you know, I think I think students have kind of got a much better time now in a sense of reaching a world market now that we just didn't have access to.
0: Yeah.
1: And they've got, I don't know, they see, I think it's, although it's more competitive, you might argue, I think their opportunities are much, much greater, whereas ours are quite small fry, in a sense,
0: mm. you know, what we were doing. Um, yeah. believe well, it has. It's, it's, it's exploded in so many ways, and I think if you retain, actually, if you retain some of those great values you just discussed about having a, a collaborative space, and I feel a sensation of something going on beyond education. Yeah. Because otherwise that cut-off point is killing. I, six, I sat in my bedroom six months after graduation, mm-hmm. and it's one of the it's probably the only time i thought, but this is for me, I don't know if I want to do this yeah, anymore. Yeah, no,
1: no, I'm not sure if I would have um, managed it on my own, actually. I think the amount of times, and some of us did have low points, I'm sure. You know, it's easy to kind of gloss over and think, oh, it was all fine. There were times I do remember some friends not getting enough work or... Um, you know, maybe getting a bit down about it. And I remember, you know, quite dry periods as well. And when you're a freelance, that free freelance mentality, you don't know when your next job's coming and you think your last your last job was your last job. Mm. So you have that kind of fear factor. Yeah. And, and it is that case of, well, you're only a few steps away from the gutter yeah. mentality, <laughs> you know, which, you know, in a sense, we really were. You know, I suppose, I think at one point I did some, I started teaching because I think I needed a bit of... um a lot of people did that, but I was always careful not to do too much teaching because I knew that that was a route you could go down and not get out of.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, and I think it's something I could have done and probably could have done quite well. But I do remember thinking I want to make more than I teach. Mm-hmm. But I, I enjoy teach I, I taught for a long time actually, but it was always in that feeling like I teach a little bit on the side, and but I mainly do this, and because I felt like I could. Go in and take something to those students, like this is what I've been doing this week. This is what I've learned this week, yeah. and show it to them and share it with them. Yeah, and that's the kind of level of teaching I enjoyed. I don't know if I'd enjoy marking papers and writing. No, you know, writing courses and things yeah. like that. I'm so.
0: on a similar sim- a similar stance with that. I get a huge buzz out saying that I can help someone, and you know. But then when it like you say, when it comes down to the meat and bones of it, mm. I want to get on back to my studio now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the lettering stuff then was that was that the kind of did you start off doing that? Was that the no? The,
1: the lettering stuff just evolved at the same time as um, the, the very first lettering job I did that seemed to make a difference. Though, was for I did the uh, Dean report with Vince Frost, and it, um, he wanted me to he wanted me to draw and write the whole report. That was the original concept, and uh, we actually had a hard time getting it through Dean and we got eventually got down to just doing the writing. So it was all behind lettering um, throughout the whole thing, and obviously. it, it to be fair, you know Vince's design was, and concept was great and I think it looked really good when, when, it, when it was finished and it was just the idea of how, it was like a little trigger reaction of, oh my God, look how, how effective is hand lettering in a sense of grabbing your attention, one, but how personal it is and how it has a voice and I don't think it's ever lost that, even the hand lettering I do now, or when I look at hand lettering that's good, that I enjoy looking at, I think there's always someone behind it. And that's the difference between that and a typeface. Mm-hmm. The typeface has got character, but it's anonymous. You don't think of the person behind the typeface quite often, unless you're like, well, I should take that back because there would be some people who would completely disagree with that. Because <laughs> I do love beautiful typography, do. But it's just something about the voice behind hand lettering that makes you curious, even if it's just for a nanosecond. You go, oh, yeah. you feel like there's a person behind it.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, and it probably didn't stop from the minute I did that annual your report. I just had... Hand littering jobs really coming in and then it just got more and more at one point it overtook all my image making so and at the time I didn't mind because I had quite young children and actually making images and coming up with concepts for quite complicated subjects was be far too taxing for my baby brain. <laughs> and actually, just someone to ask me to do some lettering was like some therapy. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's okay. I'll do some lettering. It was like you know, it was always a dream to just be asked to do lettering. To tell you the truth, yeah. At that point, at that time.
0: That's funny. She that said, "I get that same feeling about the lettering job. You don't have to think so much. It's, no. a, it's just a nice treatment, isn't it?" It's,
1: it's not. But I think it's about getting into the moment of the lettering. If that makes sense. So you can have yeah. bad lettering you just can't do anything. Oh God, yeah. You, so you've just—it's about getting into. That space where you can—it is—it is very meditative, I think, actually. And you, you just—you just do lots of that. You, you generally don't get it in one go, do you? You have to do quite a lot. well, the kind of lettering I do?
0: Subbing and do you ever do subbing letters? I subbing characters. If I got a
1: yeah, everything I do now. funnily enough, is nothing that's—it's very rare for to get a virgin piece of artwork with me or a virgin piece of lettering. It's like yeah. because my head is kind of half Photoshop. My brain is half photoshopped, so no, as if I've made that look, was like, fine, I can change that, I can add that in. Even You just kind of make these little composite images and you know, I do it with characters as well. I'll draw his body and draw the legs wrong, I just redraw the legs. I think it's, it's a, a whole new way of working that a lot of illustrators now do that didn't before. Yeah. You might have done cut and paste and pasted a bit of drawing onto another drawing, so I suppose that's it's the equivalent of that, isn't yeah. it? but Much more sophisticated. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't be bothered learning to draw on the computer, even though I'm quite... I do I'm quite intrigued by it at time and I can see some really great things happening on it mm. But I kind of think you know it's probably too late for me because the kids are going to do it better than me for a start <laughs> and, and I can probably use a brush better than them so I should just stick with what yeah, I'm good at
0: kind of over they look at the Hockneys doing all sorts of iPads now isn't they? And, and, and I know, but I'm but not the, the biggest thing, fan of it but some people love it
1: I don't love it though either I, do, I, mean, I saw that big Hockney show and I liked them much more than I thought I would but there's I, I, what I always talk about is I enjoy the process of making work, and I don't enjoy the process of sitting on a screen. No, I really, really hate don't. being on a screen. So if I can have any excuse to get off my screen and, and get on a desk where I can mm-hmm. use materials, I'll do it. So yeah. part of the reason I don't want to learn it, in fact, not even just part, so the main reason I'm not going down that route is because it's, it's almost for health reasons. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I just think I don't really want to be staring at the screen. Yeah. You know, because I'm s i am I think it's I find it highly addictive. I can't get off it when I'm on it, as mm-hmm. it is. So Yeah. But I but I never feel that bad when I c when I come off my desk, even if I'm doing quite a detailed drawing. But I do feel bad if I spoke and my head is just super whizzy. Oh god me too. I can't sleep properly. So I just think it's for me it's not working in a sense of the technology you mean not a happy, happy marriage. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm right there with you, I have arguments with tech heads about why I'm not using a Wacom Oh, we can get all the same nibs And I'm like, yeah, well, you can't get that accidental splash of ink no, that, no you, accident, that you, that you fall it? in love with
1: No, there's not enough accidental, right I mean, I think you can do some great stuff on it And it is tempting, but it's um, spontaneity, I think And improvisation, I think, is much harder on a screen Because you're already within a box Yeah, You're already on the printed page to a certain extent so. Yeah,
0: that's so sort of true, actually
1: Oh no, I enjoy my, I love my, you know that my studio right now is a bombsite because I've been working quite hard. It's like sometimes it gets to the point where, you know, I've got this lovely little minimal neat desk here at home, which is like, it's always really perfect it's because I don't really do any proper work there. I just yeah. But like, <laughs> my studio at home, my studio at work, it's just like... Like, yeah. You know,
0: mess Me and said, Yeah, my girlfriend won't have it at but my, my but what's my great student- is like say if
1: I drop a bottle of ink there, it doesn't matter. No, I don't even you have to clean it up. <laughs> I don't have to clean it up, I just rub it in.
0: <laughs> it's brilliant. I first came across your work in um the Jamie Oliver books, I think. Oh yeah. So I thought or the picture book, I think it was Jane Oliver Books.
1: Yeah, it was a cookbook. Like Jamie's Dinners, I think yes. that's
0: I went to Waterstones at the time and we weren't supposed to take damages, but it annoyed me that they had to go straight to Ben, so I snuck out the damaged version of that book, and I think that's when I came across your yeah. work. I was wondering, uh, do you still do food work now?
1: Um, oh, you know, I, did, I worked with Coluchos for about five years, I think, mm. actually. So I did all their menus for five mm. years, so that was all food. Um, and that was with Julian Roberts, and that was a great job, actually. So we because it was, you know, Gillian's a great art director, but it was also just that idea that was quite open and free, and it was like, what should we come up with this year? In fact, we did menus twice a year. So it was almost seasonal. And so it was actually, it's really nice for me because it made me kind of, you know, I think if you're working with food, you just have to get some food in front of you and draw and paint it. And <laughs> because I hadn't done that kind of work for a while, I wasn't even sure if I could do it. But I think what was really nice is if you if I put down a, a pepper or something, I, I realised I could paint them. <laughs> So it's yeah. quite surprised, isn't it? It's like, oh my god, I'm quite good at that. I can actually do that real stuff.
0: <laughs> your your food stuff's incredible. I, I, I adore it. I really do.
1: Because <laughs> sometimes my son says to me, "Can you actually draw properly, mummy? I go, what do you mean, even like a proper artist?" Like,
0: <laughs> oh, always yes, that. I can
1: actually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well we did the same. We just probably choose we yeah, not to. It's more anything. fun doing the naive stuff, yeah, well, I, I think. Yeah, but I
1: said yes, I can actually. <laughs>
0: but,
1: um, but that was really a bit like, like the lettering. What was really nice about that job actually was. Was just kind of, you know, if you're drawing a pepper, you're drawing you're drawing a pepper, aren't you? Your head is just drawing a yeah. pepper. You can only concentrate on the pepper. Beautiful yeah. objective so, work. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I think from that point of view, it was great actually. And um, at the moment, I've just finished a book on colour. And there, funnily enough, I did end up bringing some objects of food into that because obviously there's colour in food. Mm. So some of the some yeah probably in fact the cover looks a bit like a cookbook. <laughs> you yeah. <laughs> shouldn't do, but it's a it's a lemon tree it 's a lemon with some um, lemons on it, but the leaves are blue and the le- le- lemons are yellow but it's got a real kind of you know it's, it's very vibrant and very much like about the, the power of a lemon in a sense mm-hmm. how powerful lemons are in a sense of association of color and smell and taste so yeah i'm sure I kind of thought with that book although it 's on color and' it's not necessarily about anything to do with food, that probably will get me some food
0: illustrations. Yeah. <laughs> People ask me to do some cooking totally. from it. It's, so. it's also your sort of food illustration is an island in a world where now everyone shares their tea. You know, that's <laughs> the way I thought about I thought it like the other day, and I thought, these beautiful little food illustrations, because I'm just like, oh, I need to go on a oh, I don't want to know. But <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, that's just my take. I, I my
1: think business. I just like the challenge of new things, actually. What I realise with any subject is, um, is I quite like the idea of trying things I haven't done before. So if a commission comes in, and most of the time I don't do that much commission work anymore because I'm doing my books, but it has to be, if it's going to come in and I'm going to accept it, it will be, mm, because it triggers something like I've never mm-hmm. done that, maybe I can do that. So when I worked for The Guardian for two years, for example, I'd never done any political illustration. Someone was brave enough to commission me to do that um, without having seen any examples of, of that. And for two years I did only political illustration and that was great because i thought oh my god i can i've never done that mm-hmm. and it's it really was all about idea over image it was idea over aesthetic and normally yeah. i would say that my work is always kind of aesthetically biased in a sense that sometimes the idea might have been weaker than the visual mm-hmm. but with with work for a newspaper where you have to get over the idea of the t- the text it had to be just like forget the aesthetic because no one's going to enjoy that beautiful picture of a lemon if they don't understand what a relationship it has to the text yeah. so it was, it was a really great lesson, actually, and I learned to work really quickly, too. with stupid daddy. Yes, thing. me too.
0: My dad, he was and one of my advent of all my opening jobs. And Did you ever work with Roger Browning?
1: No, I didn't work with Roger Browning, actually. No. I didn't. But Roger was great. He, yeah, he, and was he worked he with he Jason was... Forges was in my studio a lot. He yeah.
0: Get... He was the first person to really validate the silly stuff. I say silly stuff, the probably valuable stuff I did just to make mates laugh, like, and mm. like that sort of conceptual political stuff. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly, that director's going... So that's got something about it. I'm like, really? really? I only did that to make him laugh. Like, <laughs> but, but that, but for this, um, to, to your point, yeah, newspapers are fantastic for yeah, that.
1: Yeah, really amazing. It's, it's when I, and my kids were really young at that time, actually. In fact, I was when I took the job on. I was pregnant. And I always think, did they notice I was pregnant? <laughs> so, I literally, had like a, a six-month-old and a one-year-old when I was doing that um, job. When I was doing the job for two years, and it was great because it was only two days a week. Really, I had to work on it, but it was four illustrations a week for the Saturday Guardian and it was it took all the energy I had just to do to do that but what was great is Friday night five o'clock it was finished it was the first proper job I'd ever had actually in a a way since I'd left college and I used to I used to get in a taxi and I always had this dilemma with taxi drivers when they used to ask what you'd do and so you know I'd always say illustration "Mm, like Beatrix Potter (laughs) not <laughs> um, quite and then when I worked for the Guardian it was great I could say I, I'm an illustrator I'll work for the Guardian and it was like finish the conversation <laughs> yeah that's very true it was kind of like they could, it, it, was, it was complete it was a proper job
0: <laughs> yeah i said that um, so many times and I never thought of it that way but yeah that's probably why whereas you
1: know other times it's like well I can make images for lots of you know when I was working for annual reports and <laughs> magazines it's like all over the place it's quite hard to describe what you do
0: I think it was the first time my parents have ever fully got <laughs> What I was, yeah. Well, I'll I'll get first time my parents ever properly got what I was trying to do when I dropped down a copy of The Guardian. And went, right, that's what I've been working towards for the last seven years. And I'm like, all right, I'll take that into work and show colleagues. Yeah, and then yeah, you're like, I know, yeah. And once they've got something, they can show themselves.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. And actually, going into publishing now, it's been much easier. Because now I can just say, I just make books, which is 90% of what I do now. So it's kind of, it's almost a proper job again and it also has a nice big long deadlines. yeah which is much better so how did
0: that come about was that was that planned transition
1: I think it was a transition of because I essentially I always like to work towards the unknown there was something in the back of my head that said I always wanted to do um, a kids book and I think once you have kids it's not that you think oh, it's when you read a hundred million kids books you read so many crap ones you think I'm sure I could do something better than this but you're kind of doing your research as you're doing it mm. so as you're reading five years of little stories to your kids you're you doing. You could do it without kids because you could just read the books, but the fact that you're forced into this reason, oh, yes. you're forced into this because you're going to be reading every night, so then you've kind of got this knowledge and you think, oh, maybe I could do something. And then you, you try to do it and realise it's much harder than it looks. And actually, and I now have a lot more respect for lots of books I didn't have before because I think it's so hard to do a kid's book. Um, so I was... I started a course, actually a writing course on writing for children, but then just by coincidence, my mm-hmm. husband, who's an art director, who's a art, director, art he's not he's not an art director, he's an art consultant for Cassart and Lance King Publishing, and he's and he's a Pentagram partner. So he was working with Cassart and wanted they'd opened up a, a children's department, and they and he said, can you just? and Angus's famous words because when you live with an illustration and you're a designer you can say things can you just knock me up this in five minutes which is Angus's cl- I, on a regular basis still does just knock me up some lettering can you just give it a five minutes so can you just do me a little we want to advertise this art shop that's for um, kids it's in the basement can you do like a little doodle book and I said there's no way I'm doing a doodle book like can't bear doodle book <laughs> not doing a doodle book I'm trying to do like you know this kind of proper book you know, a children's book, but I, I did end up thinking, well, maybe I could do a sophisticated digital book. I could make it related to art. So rather mm. than being just like, you know, colour in the sun, I could, I could try and relate it to kind of... Well, things, all the things we learn in art school that we take for granted a little bit, I think. You just think everyone's done them, but you haven't. There's little techniques and tricks, the building blocks, in mm. the sense of any profession. There's They're always there, the hidden things behind, that once you've learned, them, make the task much easier. So... I did that with a little book, it was um, it's only about 28 pages, printed beautifully, designed beautifully by Angus, and then they printed 10,000 copies and they just went like that, and Angus's publisher, Lawrence King, spotted that potential and said, why don't you develop that into a book? No, I don't want to do that, I'm trying to get my kids' book. It. <laughs> it's always the same, isn't it? But you end up, I said, okay, I can, I'll can. i do it. But it was one of the things that I started on without really worrying too much about it, thinking, mm-hmm. well, I'll see what I can do, but it was a great book to work on because it was about going through all that stuff. I would just sit in my studio and think, what? I, what? How did I learn how to cross hatch, or how do I know how to make a sphere look like a sphere? So, I just went. I'd ask myself a question and I would try to answer it visually. Okay. And so that's how the book came about. And and because that book did so well, it just kind of once you have a book that does well in publishing, there's lots of opportunities to do more mm. in a sense so that people want the next book. So I'm still in that position. I have this old book to kind of and that some. was
0: let's make great great
1: art. So it was, let's make some great art, and then I I did a fingerprint book in between because in between you can't in a funny way you don't want to bring out another book too similar that will eat into the sales of that one. So it was like we'll do what you like. So I did mm. that one, which was a lovely book, and I actually ended up doing a lot of I created a lot of characters from that book, and I've had a lot of kind of. um this whole range of greeting cards and things that I've done. There's lots of offshoots from that book. Mm. It's a really playful book, actually. I've done about three activity books now, to the point where I probably can't do any more. I think. Yeah. So then they became a bit more sophisticated. The last one, called Art Play, was a bit closer to the first one, where it was really about... Well, it was really a lot about how I work, which is through play, I think. And through that mistake-making, that like you are saying, but the idea of that you sometimes just allow the unknown to come into your work and you don't know what you're doing... Mm but it's really important as how you kind of get an idea, in a sense. So yeah. It was, really, it, was, it was about the importance of play. And I eventually managed to do a kid's book, so I wrote one. Oh, yeah. And I'm now working on the sequel to that one. And in between time, <laughs> I'm working for another publisher and doing a, I did a book on colour, which... Came about in, a, in a, through a conversation with an editor at Penguin. It was like well, what they wanted me to do a book with them, but we didn't know what to do. But It was a case of sounding off against each other and well, what subjects do you like? What should we do? And we ended up on this enormous subject of color. Well, it didn't start off just being called color. It was it was related to color in words originally, but it ended up. Um, it's taken two years, over two years to do actually. Not that it's two years of solid work. It's two years of sometimes really going down dead ends and really losing the plot on it sometimes. Because I think the more I read about colour, the more I realised what I'd bitten off, actually. (laughs) (laughs) What a subject. The more intimidated I became, Mm. to a certain extent, by the subject. And then going through periods of where you then think, finding your own voice through it and thinking, "No, I can do this, I can do my own... Everyone and everyone has a book on colour in them, I reckon, actually. So that's just finished, I'm just artworking that now, Mm. actually,
0: so... What a great position to be! In, to be no, it's a complete to, privilege. To, you know, yeah, I mean, for, we don't know what. And no, no, how did no. that come about? That bit, did that submitted the work that much?
1: I think it's because they like if you've got a backlog of work, and you know, to be fair, I've been working twenty-five years at that point. So it's not, it wasn't mm. an unknown. And, and if you, I think they just thought I could do something, and it was a, it was a, a, an interesting approach in the sense of not having something so prescriptive to say do this, do that, and, and, and in a way, I think it's worked out. Well, I don't know if I'll ever get that opportunity again if I, or if I could even do it again. It's just to do with serendipity. It's to do with meeting the right people. It's to mm-hmm. do with the right conversation. It's yeah. the way we think things go. Yeah. But um, I think when someone does t- take those risks, like a publisher can take those risks, generally good things do happen with creative people. If you give people some space, you need a, not too much space, but if you give them enough,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think if, if they're conscientious enough, everyone want, you want to do something good, don't you? You want Completely. to. So you end up pushing yourself to some crazy limit because you you know you you have to because you're trying to produce something original, which is the mm. hardest thing actually. Yeah.
0: So You mentioned serendipity. That do you do you, st- do you stay quite active in a way? I know you have family and stuff, but do you, do you still? Stay active um, to the point where that you you widen the net, so to speak, because that's how you put it. You can certainly control that in a way, can't you? By being at things and yeah, and, I, th- um, I think
1: the social the, the, the social side of my art, the art world has definitely been diminished a lot since kids because because um, private views are between six and eight, and family time is between six and eight. It's mm-hmm. so a time I can't. I could be around if I really wanted to miss out on family time, but because I'm trying to have my cake and eat it, I like being you know I suppose I I put it equal to my work so there are times when I potentially think well I'm possibly not as successful as it could be because I will not I will go home make the dinner and be with my kids mm. but that's the sacrifice I'm willing to make but I kind of you can also see how well that you know they're living in 12 and by the time they're 16 I will be able to pick that up again And mm-hmm. and if you know, there's, there's always something on every night, isn't it? Before I had kids, I used to be out every single night. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't really know how to say no. And actually, it's been—I don't mind having this chapter of my life where it's there's a level of compromise because I mm-hmm. know I can step back into that world again. It's still there
0: with a renewed appreciation. Yeah, probably.
1: and I think I do go to important things, or I try to. You make an effort to go to yeah. things that you think are, you know, that that you want to go to, for example. But I, I don't feel like I have to go to every single you and every single event, but. You know, and and I've tried... We live in London, there's so much on your doorstep, isn't there? There's always exhibitions to see. I mean, you're completely saturated and bombarded with relevant stuff every single day. (coughs) Mm -hmm. That that Maybe if you weren't living in a place that was so connected, you would have to make much more of an effort with. I'm not saying you still can't do it, but you'd have to make more of an effort. I don't have to make too much effort to be connected, Mm -hmm. to know what's going on. Whether Even you catching a glimpse of a, a fly poster... Is a relevant flypost to the moment you're in, so you, it all goes into your subconscious, doesn't it, all the time? So you, mm-hmm. you, that colour that you think you spotted in a few different places on clothes, to a poster, ends up in your work, doesn't it? Because you're there, yeah. right here, at this time, at this place, and so. Completely. I, I, I like that energy. I was called bringing I like bringing the energy of the city into my work. It's like I kind of li- I like being around people. I like mm-hmm. being in busy places. I like observing and I like capturing it and kind of using it. So. I think I'm probably not suited to living in the countryside or a little gabbat and making work, I'm afraid. I think yeah. I might just sleep all the time.
0: <laughs> Maybe, yeah, I feel the same way. Maybe we've shed our days of dreaming in countrysides now. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, like, I do like going, I like switching off. I mean, I don't work evenings anymore. And I rarely work weekends, so yeah. I've got plenty of time to kind of, I do like being in nature. I just don't like the idea of, I just quite like keeping them separate.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's so true, yeah. How do you, do you work with a literary agent?
1: How long have I worked with the literary agent? Oh, do, do you I work? do have a yeah. literary agent, yeah. I have William Morris. and fact, I've got to send this to him today. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got literary... Uh, I did have an agent for a long time. I was with Heart Agency, but I've just left Heart. Okay. Because, to be fair, it was just a waste of their time when they asked me to do work, and I'd just say no, so... <laughs> um, and it was a psychological thing. I could easily have just stayed with them and just keep turning down work and occasionally taking on one's that interest in me. But it was a psychological thing... For me to say I'm finished with that work, mm-hmm. really, because every time I did take on a commercial job, um, it kind of put me behind. On I've got so many projects to do that I've got kind of enough for the next god knows how many years. I just need to get on with them and I don't need any excuses or distractions. And it's it's a bit like if you worked if I worked here. I need to clean that kitchen floor, it's really dirty. The dishwasher needs empty, I need to go and get something for the dinner. There's all these distractions that are much easier to do than to do the actual work. And I need to take those distractions away. And commercial work, as I said, became a distraction. It's much easier to do a job that has a parameter, a budget, a time, you know, a a subject. It's all there for you. All you need to do is do it. Which your own work requires a lot more kind of sitting down, like, where do I start, what do I do? Is this good, is this bad? A lot more... Judgment and a lot more discipline, and I need to fully concentrate that so that I can't say I didn't have the opportunity to make some of those things happen. So, you know, I've got a lot, I've got so many ideas and so many half finished books and stories and ideas that are, they may just stay in the sketchbook for years if I don't kind of start freeing up some time. And it, maybe some of them always will just stay in the sketchbook, but I want to have the
0: opportunity to keep thinking along th- those lines actually. Yeah. That works. It's important, isn't it? Everyone we speak to, it's because you know yeah, I think things that are bubbling, but not enough people act actively make the compromises. Well, a the lot of time. people, to
1: be fair, and, and I've had to do it in the past. Is you have to make a living, and yeah. so you would go down. You know, of course, I'll take on a job that's going to pay six months' rent because it's it makes sense. But I, I, I use a I use a quote often by. Um, Neil Gaiman, who, because I always think I'm the opposite of how, his approach, which I'm very much in admiration of, which is to follow your mountain and only take work that leads you to your mountain. And I always said, Well, I really didn't take that path to the top of the mountain and a direct route like that. I definitely took the kind of winding round the distract, around the corner route. But that's just me. And I think probably more people take that route than the direct route because you have to be so self disciplined to say, Well, I'm not going to take on that rubbishy commercial job because it's really taking me away from my mountain and not my true objective. It's like, well, I'll take on the rubbish commercial job because it's going to allow me to go on holiday this year. Yep. <laughs> so I would be not that true. self-disciplined. And I think also when you come from a freelance background and there, there is still that slight fear mentality of if you stop working or you don't take that work on that you might suddenly be, I don't know, it's a stupid thing because surely after 25 years I don't have to worry about that, that you think you're going to be poor or you're going to be... Never get work again.
0: <laughs> it never goes away. But
1: well, I, I think it start, I think for me, eventually, I mean, I'm you know getting <laughs> on a bit. Yeah, so. you just, <laughs> just have to like, be aware of it and block it I out. Think, I think, like I so say, after twenty five years of working, you have to say to yourself, what are your new challenges? Because you've got to a certain extent where you want to be. Mm. So what? What's your next ten years? What do you want to do? Because it will just it will go that quickly. Yeah. So what do you want from those? What's your next goals? In
0: yeah. A way? So massively, it's important to stay aware, isn't it? You know, like you say, winding road is essential, but you have to be, you have to know where. Eventually. I'm much more on that path. I'm yeah. <laughs> oh god.
1: I'm yeah. the i I'm at the street, I'm at the top now. Yeah. I'm a ridiculous country. one as well. <laughs> last bit. Yeah.
0: Sitting here doing this today. This wasn't planned, you know, but it, it all came about and all of it. So great. <laughs> so what's coming up? When when can we expect the book? You talked about the so of
1: so the colour kind of one. Believe it or not, is a really fast turnaround. It will be out at the end of August, which is quite mad, unless things go wrong in production because it's being printed in Italy. So that's a very... that's I think I don't think I've ever done... Normally when I do a book, it takes six months before it comes out. Um, so that's why it's all a bit frantic at the moment, because there's not much time if things go wrong, in a sense. So it has to all be, be kind of packaged and sent off. So that'll be out at the end of August. And then Bob's Blue Period, which is my second kids' book, will be out next March, April, I think. So nice. it's got to be finished... In about six
0: weeks' time. <laughs> Exciting. <laughs> so
1: I've kind of, I've started there. So I think the thing about that book is it's a classic picture book, which is 32 pages. Because mm. all my other books, including the colour book, tend to be like around 200 pages, which are kind of quite epic in size. And the colour book was never meant to be that big. It just ended up being <laughs> 176 pages of like... Um, and I think, you know, I really need to do more picture books because there's only 32 pages. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've got a chance to redo some of them three times.
0: Uh, you know, it's right. funny the perspectives on it is but I'm sure there are people thinking, 32 pages, what's like...
1: No, it's compared to when you've been doing books like Ali, which are 200 pages. It's like, sometimes you feel like you're finished and you can't know. It's like, oh, my God, I've got 40 spreads to do. <laughs> it's like, oh,
0: God. <laughs> Brilliant. And um, so I worked with the fun work. Where can people find your work?
1: Well, they can find it on in my. You mean to look it on my website? I've got a website, and which I do try to keep. Well, I have a lovely girl who now moved to Spain, a Spanish girl who does update it for me. Fantastic. <laughs> um, and I suppose you can go to any bookshop, and you should be able to find my books. as well,
0: So that's cool. <laughs> uh, and the last question I ask everyone is question, and it's a bit on the spot. By asking for. A love and a hate, or a positive and a negative, loosely within the creative world, but it's a wide, open question. A
1: love and what do I love.
0: Yeah, it could be something just from this morning. It could be something you know you've hated all your life. Whatever it could be, as big or as little as you want. It's a really open-ended question. though. Yeah. it's
1: quite hard, isn't it? But yeah. there's, but it's not actually that hard because if I have to think what I really love is that I'd call them magic moments. And magic moments are generally things that are quite small, don't involve money. There might be a conversation or tasting something, or a smell, or looking at a tree, I think. And I try to... I think I'm much more aware of magic moments now, if that makes sense, and I've, I can remember lots of them from the past, and now if I feel like I'm in a situation where I'm seeing one, I try and savour it a bit more, if that makes sense. So I try Amazing. to appreciate small moments of beauty in life, I would say, or, mm-hmm. or whether it's a moment of kindness or something. So they're, they're very important. What do I hate? Mm-hmm. I hate what's happening with... In politics right now, I think it's it's exactly horrible. It feels like a horrible time because it feels like there's a a disrespect towards other human beings at the moment that I think is seemingly more acceptable than even it seemed ten years ago. So that's what I hate at the moment. Um, And what was the other thing you asked? That was it. That was it. That was it. Yeah. Oh, another question. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's nice. That's it.
0: So, well, thank you so much for your time.
1: It's pleasure. (laughs)
0: <laughs> thanks so much to marion um wonderful conversation inspiring lady continues to be prolific now in her illustration career uh, and writing career of course she's also an author of many books now with lawrence king publishing and her latest book color with penguin books go and get a copy go and check it out it's a really wonderful beautiful piece of work uh, you would expect nothing less right so there you have it, thanks again to her Thanks to uh, the previous guest, Steve Johnson iMagazine, uh, Lawrence King, Nina Chakrabarti Go back and listen to the archive Anytime you want on all the channels We're on Stitcher now, you can listen offline Somebody got in touch and suggested That um, we have the show on there And we'll listen to the audience So there you have it do get us your feedbacks, get us your suggestions. Who do you want to hear from? Who would you like to be on the one hundredth episode, which is coming up very soon? We're creeping towards it. Still don't have the confirmed guest. I'm looking for your suggestions. Let me know who you want to hear from on the Twitter at Arrest All My Mix. Um Thank you so much to the sponsors: Illustration Limited, so that's illustrationweb.com; Heart Internet over at heartinternet.co.uk, and thebrilliantprinted.com, who sadly will be no longer with us. After today's show, they're moving on to support other creative projects. So thank you so much, guys, for your ongoing support. It's been a pleasure. It's been an honour. Um, take care. I'll be using you continually for my printing still because you're still doing awesome service. So there you have it. Got some awesome guests coming up soon. We've got Ben Rothery coming up. We've got Graham Wood from Tomato. We've got Leona Beth. We've got all sorts of cool people coming up. So keep the feedback coming, please. If you get a second, do go and drop us a little review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It takes. Only a couple of minutes, and it's really, really valuable. We've got nine up there at the moment, and I've got a lot more regular listeners And that, so please do take the time. Do me a favour. Go drop us a little review. Uh, thank you so much. Um, that's about it for now, I think. Don't miss out on tickets for the very first All Mimics live, which is at Us 2 in Shoreditch on the Thursday, the 28th of September, two days from now. Please do go and grab a ticket. If there are any left, there may not be by the time this comes out. If you do, If you missed out... Hit us up, there might be a waiting list, uh, presented by the Association of Illustrators, Uh, great supporters of the show by the way, in conversation with the wonderful Brian Grimwood, many decades of illustration experience, founder of the CIA, the Central Illustration Agency. Got a lot to talk about, a lot to get through on the night, there's going to be beers, there's going to be chat, it's going to be a really great laugh, so come down and say hello. Thanks again guys. Thank you so much. Take care. Have a creative week and I'll see you all very soon.